just delighted to be uh, looking at God's Word with you this morning. Uh, before we get in, uh, stuck into it, uh, I just want to uh, report that uh, Youth and Children's Ministry have, has gotten off to a, a wonderful start. Um, we had a really great time here, um, small groups with masks and social distance on, on Friday night. We had, uh, we're getting about 15 to 20 uh, youth, and, and as you know, our vision at St Philip's is, is growing young. We want to reach the next generation uh, with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, it's, it's going strong. And uh, isn't it wonderful with, uh, in our post Barb era to know that uh, she's organised it, she's helped us, a whole lot of people have stepped up and there's a whole lot of really wonderful ministry uh, happening there and and throughout the week and on Friday night. So just thank you so much for your support. Be uh, encouraged and please do uh, keep us uh, in your prayers. Uh, And actually that's what we're going to be talking about today. The the topic, uh, what I want to talk with you about from Acts chapter 1 is the power of one prayer meeting. Uh, the power of one prayer meeting. Uh, I'm pointing particularly to verse 14, um, which if you notice on the walls, one of the um, things that we have up on the walls says, all the apostles were constantly devoting themselves to prayer. It says, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. And so what I want to show you this morning is that in the early church, the Christians, the disciples, they gathered together for regular time of rigorous prayer. That's how the early church started. That's how it continued. They gathered together for regular times of rigorous prayer. And I also want to point out some parallels between their situation and our situation because the first parallel is that in Acts chapter 1, I think it's in about verse 11, their leader left. Who was that? Yes, Jesus. A slightly different exit to the one we're expecting Malcolm uh, to make. Uh, but, but their leader left. And our leader is about to leave. Praise God, not our actual true leader, the Lord Jesus Christ, but Malcolm is going to leave. There's, there's one parallel. Here's another parallel. They had, to find, they had to find a new leader. I wonder if you noticed that in the reading. There was this guy called Judas. You know the story. And he kind of fell over and guts and all that, and they needed to replace him. Well, guess what we're going to have to do uh, over the coming months? We're going to need to find a leader. And, and guess what their number one strategy was in that context? I've already said it. Prayer, and not just prayer, a prayer meeting, gathering together to pray. Uh, there's uh, one parallel that doesn't exist because at least the church in the West is fairly unknown to uh, have a 10-day prayer meeting. But uh, I was surprised and interested to learn from uh, the, the reading that I did during the week that this was a 10-day prayer meeting. Now, make no mistake, that's a common thing in the two-thirds world, um, but not so much in the Western church. Let me show you. I want you to show you that it was a 10-day prayer meeting, but you'll need to follow with me, and it'll help if you have a Bible in front of you, because it says in verse 30 that Jesus appeared to them for 40 days after his resurrection. That's in verse 3, right? So his resurrection, his death and resurrection was at the Passover festival. That's important for later. So 40 days he's appearing to them and then he goes up in about verse 11 into the heavens and then the next verse it says, verse 14, they were continually gathered together in prayer from that point of Jesus, from the 40-day point. And then if you go to chapter 2 verse 1 with me, it says, um, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. So they're still together 
in one place praying. It says in verse 14 that they were continually praying from day 40. Guess what day Pentecost is? There's a hint in the number. It's 50 days after the Passover. So from day 40, they're continually gathered, and then we find them in chapter 2, verse 1, on Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, still gathered together, doing what? Praying. It was a 10-day prayer meeting. And what I want to show you today is that all the amazing things that we see in Acts, the things that we get excited about, the gospel powering forward, signs, miracles, wonders, particularly what we see in chapter 2, which many of you know so well, happens out of a prayer meeting. It follows, all follows, right. it's a direct link. Chapter 2, verse 1, they're still praying, they're still gathered, they're still gathered together in this prayer meeting when all this amazing stuff in chapter 2 happens after 10 days of prayer. I found the perfect illustration for uh, today's message. Uh, it's in a book called Prayer by Ol Halsby. Classic work on prayer. And appropriate for a mining town like Perth. He says, the work of the Spirit is like mining because the Spirit's work is to blast the sinner's hardness of heart into pieces. I'd say that's true of myself, to blast my own hardness of heart into pieces. That's the Spirit's work. And so he says, times of revival are like when the blasts are fired. But the time leading up to that is like when the deep holes are being bored with great effort into hard rock. Boring down into the rock is incredibly hard, slow work. But lighting a fuse is easy. And it's not just easy, it's fun. You you get to see the results. You get to see fireworks and sparks fly and ultimately you get to see the gold, the good stuff. It takes hard work to do the boring. It's boring, after all. But anybody can light a fuse. And what I want you to see in Acts chapter 1, is that they're doing the hard work of boring in a 10-day prayer meeting with incredible results. We so often skip over that part and just go to the fireworks and the amazing results and we skip over the hard work of prayer. So let's see three things that happen as a result of the power of one prayer meeting. The first thing is power. Uh, the disciples knew in... in um, Sorry, Jesus knew in Acts chapter 1 that that the disciples would be tempted after seeing the amazing resurrected body of the Lord Jesus Christ and seeing him go up into the heavens. They would just want to run out and go and tell and go ahead with their own plan and go ahead in their own power. But he said, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't go ahead with your own plan. Don't go ahead in your own power. What I want you to do is what? Wait. Wait for the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. So he says, guys, I've got a plan for you. Wait. Francis Schaeffer has this great quote, you might have heard it before, that stuck with me since the first time I heard it. He says, the central problem of our age is not liberalism or modernism or Roman Catholicism or communism or even rationalism. He says, the real problem for the church is when we try to do 
the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than in the power of the spirit. He says the real problem that we face is in here. The, the, the real problem that we face is here. That we would try to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh and not in the power of the spirit. But they didn't have that problem in the early church, did they? Look at, look at what they did. They sat there and they prayed and they waited for the power of the Spirit to work. And boy, did he turn up. They did the Lord's work in the Lord's way. Outpouring of the Spirit in chapter 2. Tongues of fire, powerful preaching from, from Peter. And 3,000 people converted and baptized in the one day. All on the heels of a prayer meeting, a 10-day prayer meeting it's an incredible breakthrough through the power of the holy spirit and through prayer uh, you see god break through in another meeting it's it's the next prayer meeting that we see acts is filled with different prayer meetings and the next meeting that we see is in acts chapter 4 where the believers pray for boldness i think it was peter and john had been um, threatened never speak again in the name of jesus after they healed a, a crippled man and um and so they were like crikey the police and you know whatever are going to put us in jail and so they get together and verse 31 says when they had prayed the place where they had were assembled was shaken that's actually almost a technical thing for what happens in the Old Testament when God shows up on the mountain. It's shaking. There was a revelation of the living, mighty God. And then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And it all came out of their prayer meeting together. I think the next prayer meeting we see in Acts is in um, chapter 12 where Peter um, had been uh, this time actually put in jail. He'd been bound and so the Christians got together um, to have a prayer meeting. God, Peter, the apostle, the kind of rock on which the church is in jail, so let's get together to pray. And they're praying all night and during their prayer meeting, away, I don't know how far away, they, the, Peter's in prison and a, an angel rocks up in the cell and um, and, and sets him free, right? And he's, and he's like walking out of the prison, open doors, chains broken. This is in Acts chapter 12. And he gets out and he thinks it's a dream. And then finally when he's out and the angel leaves, he's like, oh my goodness, it's not a dream. So what does he do? He goes to the disciples where they're gathered to pray. Knock, knock, knock. And, the, and, and so a little girl like comes to the door, opens the door and she's like, <gasps> slam. The door runs back. Peter's here. Did you let him in? Ah, uh, oops, no. And they go and they open the door and Peter, Peter comes in. You see, that's the power of prayer. It happened while they were praying. It happened during their prayer meeting. It's the power of one prayer meeting. And so what impossibilities are we facing as a church? What prisons, what chains are on us or in your family? or in your relationships, or in your workplace, or in your marriage? Do you believe in the power of prayer to break those chains and to do the impossible? Samuel Chadwick says, It takes us so long to learn that prayer is more important than organisation, more powerful than armies, more influential than wealth, and mightier than all learning. Friends, there's not a place in the world that is harder to learn this lesson than Cottesloe. Because we all got here because we're strong and we're successful. We got here in our own strength. But wouldn't it be amazing if God were able to show that that's not where our strength comes from? 
but we're fully dependent on him to do his work in his way. The first outcome of their prayer meeting is power. Bring it on. The second outcome of their prayer meeting we see is unity. I want you to notice the phrase in verse 14. It said they were constantly devoting themselves, which means they were, it means to be strong and steadfast and firm towards something. Uh, this idea of being devoted. It's a common phrase in the New Testament. In, in, in Acts 2 verse 42, at the end of Peter's sermon where it describes the church, by the way, the youth are going through that that description of the church for the next six months or so. It says they devoted themselves, there's that word again, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were devoted to it. Acts chapter 2 verse 46, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. So it wasn't just prayer on their own, it was gathering together to pray together. One of my favorite verses, Colossians 4, verse 2, it pretty much quotes Acts 2, 42 verbatim. He says, he says to the church, friends, devote yourself to prayer. Isn't it wonderful that God hasn't left us in the dark as to how the church works, right? He's not like, will you guys figure it out? No, pray. That's how my mission advances, through prayer. Devote yourselves to it. It's so simple. Thank you, Lord. There's another word in verse 14. Uh, now the other phrase I want you to notice in this is together. Now unfortunately in the NRSV it's kind of lost in translation. If you look at another translation it says all these were continually united. Right? That's the word. They were united in, in prayer together. Uh, the Greek word is homothumadon. Um, and, and it means with one mind, one accord, in togetherness, unanimously. And so this is a word, this idea of unity and being united together comes up a lot as well. In Acts 4, the, the next prayer meeting, it says they raise their voices together to God. You see, there's this emphasis on praying together in unity. And in Romans 15, verse 6, Paul says to the church, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. It's part of the wonderful thing about singing is that we're literally in harmony with each other, uh, but but that's almost a spiritual reality of, of of being in harmony with each other and working together in harmony. You know, it's no wonder that Jesus' final prayer before he went to the cross, his final prayer in John 17, was for unity. John 17, verse 21, he says, "May all of them be one, Father, just as we are one." Father, Son, Spirit, three persons, one God, just as we're one. May they be one with each other. I want to have a practical reflection on this because uh, recently uh, I've discovered that, that one way that prayer can create unity and sort of lower the tension, by the way, this is a great tip for parents, um, is, is that prayer creates a triangle where there's a third person I can talk to about the situation. So, so let's say... There's something about you or there's something about the church that I want to change. I want to, I want to change. It's annoying or it needs to ch change, right? But you're not listening to me. This is great for parents. But you're not listening to me. Well, that's okay because you're not the boss. And I know the one who is. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've got his number. And he's available any time. And so you're not listening to me about it. But he is and he's the boss. 
so I can talk to him. And so it doesn't worry me if you're not going to listen to me about what I want for you or what I want for the church because I can talk to the boss and I know he hears me. And so that, do you see how that lowers the tension? I don't, I just, I almost stop talking to you. I don't need to say, would you please change this or that? It's like, no, just talk to the boss about it. Ask him to do it. And that lowers the tension. Okay? So if, if you're going to feel uptight or worried about the nominators, you know, they might stuff it up. Well, the parish council, they're fumbling it. Talk to the boss. Talk to the boss about it. And that'll lower the tension. Because you've got a direct line to the city. How good would that be? Like BHP, Rio Tinto, whatever, wherever you are. Just talk to the boss. Man, oh, phew. Don't worry, I can talk to the boss. He'll take care of it. Talk to the boss. It's a great one for parents. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. That's one way I find prayer creates unity. Because we're talking to God about it. He's got it in control. So praying together is, I think, in unity, is a bit like a magnifying glass, right? And the sun. Normally when the sun hits the ground, it creates light, but there's nothing sort of super powerful or anything. But if you get a magnifying glass, and that brings focus, and it becomes a laser, and it's laser-sharp focus in a direction. And that's what happens when we gather together in prayer, to bring our prayers to bear on the challenges and hindrances that we're facing, or the things that we're seeking God for. So the second thing we notice is that prayer creates unity. Third and finally, the last outcome we see from this prayer meeting is discernment. It's discernment. Remember, Judas had betrayed Jesus, and they needed to replace, replace him. They wanted a 12th person who was a witness, right? But they didn't know who to choose. They narrowed it down to two guys. There was Joseph and Matthias, but they didn't, know, they didn't know which one. So they needed discernment. Look at verse 24. It says, They prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you've chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. So they prayed for discernment. I want you to notice something, friends. It looks like they had a prayer meeting, verse 14, before they had their business meeting, verse 23. Isn't that a lesson for us Anglicans? They had a prayer meeting, verse 14, before they had their business meeting about the leadership, verse 23. Prayer came first. And we see this happening throughout the book of Acts. Now, planning is important. Being organized is highly commended in, in the scriptures. But independence on God and open to his plan and his voice. And so what we see throughout Acts is instead of the disciples coming to God with their plan, asking him to bless it, they come to God with open hands, asking him to give it, to reveal his agenda. We need his wisdom. We need his discernment. We need his plans and power. In Colossians 1 verse 9, Paul says, I'm continually asking God to fill you with the knowledge of God's will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. In other words, 
You have a living person living inside of you, the spirit of the living Jesus Christ. And I'm praying in all of the challenges that you're facing at work and in the family and in your marriage and as a parent, all those complex decisions that you're making, I'm praying that the spirit person living inside of you will give you wisdom and understanding to make those decisions that you wouldn't otherwise get if he wasn't there with you speaking to you. And he says, Paul says, I'm continually praying that you have that person go, hey, what about this? What about this? discernment, speaking to you, giving you wisdom. And this is what we see happen in Acts. It's actually really cool in, in, in chapter 13 because the disciples, I'll just read it, verse 2, chapter 13, verse 2. He says, while the disciples were worshipping the Lord and fasting, so the disciples are going to having worshipping, praying, fasting, the Holy Spirit, it says, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So their agenda is worship, prayer, fasting, and God gives them an agenda set apart, Paul and Barnabas. Now, how did that go, that little agenda, setting apart Paul and Barnabas for the work that they've called? Any thoughts? How did that go? How about the entire gospel spreading across the entire Mediterranean and the half of the New Testament being written as a result of the Holy Spirit's call to set apart Paul and Barnabas to share the gospel across the Mediterranean. And all they were doing was worshipping, fasting, praying. It's kind of cool, isn't it, when God shows up and you get to get on board with his agenda and his plan and do it in his strength. So as we go looking Go about looking for a new pastor. As we hope and pray and dream for exciting, amazing things happening here in Cottesloe at St. Philip's. If we want to see God do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, we need to gather and pray. And isn't it so much more exciting and interesting when God shows up and you get to be part of what he's doing? And so, today we've seen the power of one prayer meeting, Acts chapter 1, verse 14. We've seen the power poured out at Pentecost. We see it again in the prayer meeting in chapter 4 and in 12. We've seen unity together, gathering together in unity as they prayed. And we've seen discernment about choosing the right leader and the right direction and the right Plans. And so I want to finish with you today by telling you a modern-day parable, a modern-day parable about the power of one prayer meeting. Imagine a company with a superb CEO. He was widely praised inside and outside of his company for his visionary leadership. His insights into marketing and product design were second to none. By the way, this comes from Paul Miller. It's not mine. Plus, this CEO had a unique ability not only to attend to the task, but also to people. His imprint on the company since he founded it was such that the company was almost synonymous with him. His person and his work sat at the very centre of the company. Some even said that he'd sacrificed so much for the company that it was almost like he died for it. The respect for him ran so deep that the company gathered weekly to celebrate him. Some even wrote songs extolling him. Uh, this remarkable CEO had even written a book about how to run the company. This, this book became the number one worldwide bestseller. People regularly studied the book, quoted it and modelled their life on it. 
It was such a part of their employees' lives that everyone called it the book. At the weekly gathering, one of the leaders would give a talk on some part of the book. And many of the leaders even went to a school where they studied the book. And yet something was amiss. The company's market share was dwindling and profits were down. Wall Street analysts marked the company's stock as a sell. The company was struggling to recruit younger people and grey hairs filled the meetings. Things were not going well, but no one knew why. Some leaders had even become cynical. Oddly enough, the one bright spot was how clean the company offices were. Even with budget cuts, the building literally sparkled. The janitors themselves were relentlessly cheerful. Whenever a janitor entered a room, people's spirits lifted because they sang as they worked. A few, though, found their constant singing irritating. In desperation, the company's leaders gathered. What were they missing? Should they study the CEO's book more? Should they invite more people to their weekly celebration of the CEO? Attendance had been down lately. They were puzzled. Then one of the older leaders recalled a time many years ago when she and other leaders actually met with the CEO in a weekly meeting and talked directly to him, even listened to him. Others were puzzled by this idea. It seemed like a waste of time since they all had so much to do for the CEO. Plus they weren't sure what to say in a meeting with the CEO or how to organise it. Those who recalled talking with the CEO said it was strange because he listened well but he didn't always answer right away. And to run a company you need answers quickly. Someone mentioned that They'd heard that some of the janitorial staff were still meeting with the CEO, but they weren't sure when or how, and the idea seemed so strange. The leaders decided to consult the CEO's book. Sure enough, the book said that the company would only thrive if the leaders regularly talked to him. In fact, the book said that the company was designed so it only worked when the CEO was communicated with regularly. The book was filled with stories of janitors talking to and listening to the CEO. The leaders pondered this. They respected the book, but when it came to running the company, you needed a book that told you what to do. Someone suggested asking the janitors how to talk with the CEO, but that was dismissed out of hand for obvious reasons. I mean, they were janitors. They didn't know how to run a company. Well, the leaders ended their meeting with a renewed commitment for all of them to write books on how to run a company. That seemed like a good idea. But a few of the leaders, including the woman who remembered the janitor's meeting with the CEO, decided to find the janitor's meeting room. They began their search in the company's executive offices but no, found no trace. A search of sales and marketing came up empty too. They searched the entire building but found nothing. Finally, someone remembered that in the far corner of the basement, behind the furnace room, was an empty supply room. As they got closer to the room, they heard a quiet murmuring. When they peeked in, they had trouble seeing because the room was so bright. After their eyes adjusted, they saw a room filled with janitors speaking to the CEO. Friends, to find out how that story ends, 
you're going to need to grab a copy of it on the table out the back. To find out the power of one prayer meeting, you're going to need to find out by picking up a copy off the table. And in order to find out how the story ends for us, you're going to need to register for the course, A Praying Life, in March. Let's gather together to talk, think, learn about prayer for four Wednesday nights in March. I hope to see you there. Let's pray. Father, Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you haven't left us in the dark about how this thing called church works, how this thing called life works, how this thing called parenting and marriage actually works, or singleness, how that works. It only works when we talk to the boss constantly and together, because you're the one who made it, you're the one who can help us. Thank you for showing us what happens when we do talk to you and seek you through this reading today. Father, would you help us to believe it and put it into practice for the sake of your beautiful son's name. Amen.